Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Beth Ellis, and I serve as a deacon in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. Righteous and holy God, your glory is revealed to us day by day as valleys of despair are lifted and mountainous problems are leveled. In your presence, we see more than our immediate situation. We catch a glimpse of your eternal purposes. So come among us now and speak your word of peace. Feed us with your truth and equip us to welcome Christ's coming. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God. soft and 
Today, the second Sunday of Advent, the ritual of candle lighting continues. The circle of grains that hold all the candles represents God's eternity. The first purple candle symbolizes faith. The second purple candle will be lighted today to represent the hope of Jesus' arrival on earth. Listen now to the words from the scripture, Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, six and seven, that reveal his coming. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them light will be shined. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting God, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace on the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from all time and and forever. The zeal of the Lord will, of hosts will do this. We light this candle today in preparation for the coming of Christ.
The message of Advent is that Jesus came so that we may be redeemed. But in the busyness of this season, we can become oblivious to the Jesus who wants to be with us in a special way, who wants to draw us closer to him, refresh our spirit, and see himself at work in the lives of those around us, the needy and the lonely. We need to open our eyes to those who need us to be his hands and feet, so knowing that he is ready to hear and to accept and forgive us, let's draw together in the confession of our sins. God of the future, you are coming in power to bring all nations under your rule. We confess that we have not expected your kingdom, for we live casual lives ignoring your promised judgment. We accept the lies as truth, exploit neighbors, abuse the earth, and refuse your justice and peace. In your mercy, forgive us. Grant us wisdom to welcome your way and to seek things that will endure when Christ comes to judge the world. In Jesus' name, amen. The good news of Advent is the coming of the Christ who loved us and forgives our sins. God comes not to punish, but to gift us with peace, not to judge, but to save us. Thanks be to Christ. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. spirit of our fathers of the faith and all who believe let's affirm together the Apostles Creed I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ his only Son our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified dead and buried he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the weak and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let us take a moment to greet one another in the spirit of our Lord.
Good morning. We welcome you this day on the second Sunday of Advent. Glad that you are here making your way to the Bethlehem stable. We're grateful that we do that, not just as individuals, but as a community of Christ. Grateful that we can do this shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters. We hope that you will find this to be a moment in which you encounter the living Christ on your way to celebrating again his birth. We would love for you to fill out the friendship pads in the pews and pass those along to your neighbors. And we hope that you will put name and face together and perhaps make a new friend out of that weekly exercise. We've had a, a great uh, few days this past weekend and before that we've had uh, wonderful things going on here in the life of our church. Just yesterday we had the sanctuary filled twice with the Messiah concert and uh, it was just a great joy to fill the Spirit of God at work and moving in our midst as we heard those great choruses that we're all familiar with so we're grateful that you were able to join us in that opportunity. The campus was filled with children as parents glad gladly left them to our care as they went out for the night <laughs> and uh, that was fun and uh, you'll see if you go into the courtyard the construction of our live nativity set you'll see a, a little stable area there that our youth were putting together along with the help of good adult supervision and uh, we're thankful for that and we'll look forward to that live nativity on Christmas Eve which you'll want to join us for at 5, 7, 9, and 11 that uh, those good folks will be out there uh, showing forth the great scene of nativity. Our tutoring potluck was here. We had uh, parents and children from all of our community filling the campus center, uh, enjoying some time of fellowship, and the Presbyterian women had their Christmas tea. So lots of things happened just in the last two or three days, so we rejoice in that, along with the fact that you have been so generous in your response to our food pantry offering. $28,000 has been received, and we're very grateful for that. That will go toward a long ways toward uh, feeding those who are in need of those resources over the course of this year. That offering is still being received. There are envelopes, I believe, still in your pew. So we welcome you to uh, provide us that opportunity to reach out to our neighbors in need. Next Sunday is our new members class, and we would love to have you come and join us. If you uh, are visiting with us and would like to learn more about uh, our life here at Church of the Palms, we'd love to have you be with us next Sunday after the nine o'clock service. This Wednesday night, we continue our Advent uh, teaching series led by myself on making the journey the destination and thinking about our own journeys to Bethlehem and what we might find along the way. So we'd love to have you uh, join us for that. Next, uh, next month in January on Sunday nights, I'll be starting a class on life's tough questions. And we're inviting you to uh, share with us some of your questions that you have that you'd like to have perhaps discussed uh, on those Sunday evenings. You can do that on our website. You can put a scrap of paper in the offering plate. You can email me, whatever is easiest for you, but we'd love to hear from you about that. Then on Christmas Eve, this is a great opportunity for us to be as hospitable as possible to our community. We have lots of folks that come here, perhaps maybe for the only time or the first time, and we would love to put out the best hospitality team possible, ushers and greeters, and we could certainly use your help in that. If perhaps you have nothing else to do that night other than come and be with us, we would love for you to perhaps extend your ministry uh, throughout the evening. And if you would like to learn more about that, turn to page 15 in your bulletin, and we would uh, love to get your response to that invitation. 
Let us now continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes and gifts and offerings.
Let us pray. O Lord, giver of life and source of freedom, we know that all we have received is from your hand. Gracious and loving Father, you call us to be stewards of your abundance, the caretakers of all you have entrusted to us. Help us to always use your gifts wisely and teach us to share them generously. Send the Holy Spirit to work through us, bringing your message to those we serve. May our faithful stewardship bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. We pray with grateful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. And now we invite the children to come forward for the children's moment with a very special guest today, Queen Esther. Remembering. I thought no one would notice. Good morning. Good morning. I see why we ran out of children's bulletins. It's nice to see you. Hi, Sydney. Good morning. I understand that you're in the season of Advent, a time of preparation, a time of waiting. Waiting can be hard, can't it? Can you think of anything that you have had to wait for and it's just hard to wait? Oh, it's yeah, probably when he's doing the drilling, I would imagine. Yes, Anna. Getting my ears pierced. Oh, getting your ears pierced. Did you have to wait a long time for that? Yes. What else? Fishing. Fishing. That's a great one. That's why I don't fish. Yes. Waiting a long time for a ride at Disney. Oh, those lines can be hours long and two more. Christian. I waited a long time for my birthday. You do. You have to wait a whole year every year, don't you? Ginny. For my mom to go clothes shopping. Ouch. Sam, you have one last one. Christmas. Oh, Christmas. Excellent. Thank you. I want to tell you a story about when I had to wait. A long time ago, King Xerxes was in need of a new queen. So he called for all of the young women of the land. It was a long time ago. And we all went in to this very special place. We had to wait for an entire year. And during that year, we had really great food. And we had lessons in makeup and in oils and in manners. Finally, after a year of waiting, we were called to see the king one at a time. And I had my turn in front of the king, and guess what? He picked me. He picked me, little Esther, a little Jewish girl, to be the next queen of the whole land. Well, let me tell you the first thing that I learned. You have to be a lot more than just beautiful to be queen. You have to be brave. You have to be smart. And you have to be kind. So let me tell you what happened. My cousin Mordecai, he came to me and he said, Esther, you've got to go see the king because there's this mean guy who's trying to kill all of the Jews. <laughs> you know what, my cousin Mordecai, he doesn't really understand how it works in royalty. You have to wait for the king to call you in. If you don't wait, guess what he can do? <laughs> Just like that. I was like, oh my goodness, he didn't call for me. Mordecai said, oh, Esther, if you don't do this, we're all going to be dead. Mordecai said something else to me, and this is what I really want you to hear. He said, Esther, maybe, just maybe, you were made queen for a time such as this. You know what that means? 
that God has a plan for each one of you, for each one of you. He's got a plan. We've got to figure out what that plan is. This was maybe my plan, so I used my brains, I used my heart, I came up with a plan, and I went in front of the king, and he put out his gold scepter, and he listened to me, and I saved all of my people. Remember, to be like Esther, beauty fades. What's on the outside is not the important thing. It's what's on the inside. Being smart, being brave, being kind. Let us pray. Gracious God, you've gifted us all with so much. Help us to use those gifts to show your love, to give you honor, and help us to wait. Because sometimes when we wait, really good things happen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That way. <laughs> Don't steal that child. That's <laughs> what's called being the family of faith, right? Nice, nice. Well, we are, as you have just heard, in the midst of another one of these amazing stories in the Old Testament in which God works through his people. We had a debate earlier on this week as who was gonna wear the dress, and Lori won. The <laughs> I stuck with the black robe. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from Esther chapter four. Verses 1 through 17. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city, wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed and she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. And Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a message for Mordecai saying, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, all alike are to be put to death. 
Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink nor for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. And after that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we ask, O oh Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh that we may understand what these times are to be. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. On the cover of your bulletin, yes, get out your bulletin. Now put your bulletin away. <laughs> that is a picture of a 12th century abbey that stands on a small island off the west coast of Scotland named Iona. It's the Isle of Iona. The Isle of Iona was the landing place for a 6th century Irish monk named Columba, Saint Columba. There are all sorts of stories why Columba left Ireland. Some think he was actually escaping arrest, but he came to Iona with his small band of 12 brothers and in doing so brought Christianity to Scotland. Columba established a small community of Christ there on that island from which the light of Christ shone and out of which came the spread of Christianity to Great Britain and beyond. I can, it certainly can be said that the seeds of your Christianity and mine came from the seeds sown on that little island. It became the center for Scottish, Irish, and British Christianity. Over 50 kings of Scotland and Ireland are buried on that little island. I've been to Iona twice in my life, and it is truly a sacred space, a thin place, the Celts call it, a place where the membrane between heaven and earth appears very thin. Now, having just said that, the interesting thing about this little community of faith and the Celtic tradition born out of it was that they believed that sacredness was not to be found in any one particular place and time, but that sacredness is found in all places and at all times. 
In other words, you don't need a ticket to some event. You don't need to travel to some island. You don't need to make sure you're at the right place at the right time. You don't have to have all conditions working in just the right order in order for the divine to descend. Because the truth is, according to the psalmist, the heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night proclaims knowledge. All time and space is sacred. So for example, when those early monks beheld the spark in that morning fire, they saw God in that time and space. When the sun rose above the Irish Sea, they saw God in that time and space. When the first blossoms of spring shot forth from their shoots, they saw God in that time and space. When the hungry pilgrim came to them for food, oh, they saw God in that time and space. George MacLeod, the great 20th century Celtic leader, put it this way, we are in touch with God every moment that we live for the simple reason that God is life not just religious life, not just church life, but the whole of life. God is the life of life. This wasn't some form of pantheism, thinking that God is in all things. No, rather we see God through all things. God inhabits every moment and every space. We are blessed this week to have the chance during our daily readings to be, to be recalling the story of Queen Esther. Esther, a, a beautiful Jewish servant girl who finds herself inside the, inside the maniacal Persian king Ahasuerus' court, who's, whom historians know as Xerxes. A, a pall of fear and death now hangs over the court of King Ahasuerus. He's one of those very insecure kings that, that won't allow people even to appear and speak without permission lest they be put to death. Now, through a providential series of events, Esther is named queen, and unbeknownst to him now, the Persian king has a Jewish queen. At the same time, Ahasuerus has been influenced by his advisors to issue a decree that all the Jews in the land be destroyed. And now the only person standing between the wicked Persian king and the genocide of the Jews is the Jewish Queen Esther. And it's the queen's uncle, as we heard, Mordecai, who sends a message to the queen and says, Esther, Esther, perhaps you've come to royal dignity for such a time as this. This is your moment, Esther. This is your time. You and only you can do something. And at the risk of spoiling the end of the story, you can only imagine what Esther does. Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. There is perhaps no more inspiring story in all of scripture than the story of this young woman who, who risks her life to speak out of turn to the king to save her people. Our Jewish brothers and sisters have a holy season named after Purim. It's a humbling and inspiring tale that places the scale of courage high above any of our heads. What would we do when presented with such a time and space? What, what choice would we make? It was the moment that God had placed us in. What would be our response? Would we risk the sacrifice of our own lives in order to save our own people? Those are great questions. Now the danger to those questions 
is the subtle suggestion that for each of us there awaits or may have already passed a moment, the moment of our lives. That, that somehow God has placed us in a particular and specific time and place and, and boy, we better get it right or there won't be any other chance. That when your time comes, boy, you better be ready. And frankly, I find myself captured by this myth and drawn into the great histories of the world to learn of men and women who have responded at critical times and with incredible acts of courage. It's, it's why I love Lincoln. It's why I love Bonhoeffer. It's why I love the stories of heroic soldiers in battle. It's why I love Martin Luther King Jr. Today is Pearl Harbor Day. It was most certainly a mark in time that, that led thousands of men right down to that enlistment office. I find very compelling these stories of people who, like Queen Esther, responded to a critical and momentous time and appeared to do the right thing. Somehow these moments of grandeur and history, we want to say to ourselves, await us or may have already passed us by. But that would not be the biblical message. For the biblical message is that your time and my time comes not in a moment, not in the moment, but in every moment. Because all time and space is sacred. And all time and space calls forth our response. The grand jury rulings of Ferguson in New York, along with the stories and events behind them, pregnant with great tragedy, may lead us to think that those are the moments above all moments. But to think so would be letting ourselves off the hook for are not moments ahead of us when we could intentionally cross ourselves the racial divide with grace and compassion. Are those not moments pregnant too? Pregnant with the glory of God. It's what the Advent journey calls us to, isn't it? To, to be on the lookout for what is ahead, to imagine that there will be some surprise along the way, to realize that maybe the journey is not all about getting to the moment and place of Bethlehem, but to imagine that God is going to surprise us at every turn of the way. No surprise, remember, when Jesus tells us the story of the Good Samaritan, it was the holy people, priest and Levite, who missed the moment while they were on their way to the moment. But it was the person of suspected race who sees the moment at hand and crosses the racial divide. Somehow, one way or the other, right? Our love of God will always intersect with our love of neighbor. We all know Tolstoy's great story of the Russian cobbler named Martin who grieves the death of his wife and wonders what what the remaining days of his life could ever be about. What is the purpose of living without her? But a certain wise man inspires him to find a copy of the scriptures, to read them, which he does with long stretches of solitary time. He finds compelling within them the story of the Pharisee who is not welcoming to the sinning woman. One night he receives a vision that Christ will appear to him the next day. 
So the next day he waits. He waits for the appearance of Jesus. And, and while he waits, he looks out his window and notices a laborer outside his shop shoveling the heavy snow. He invites the laborer in to have a hot drink and warm conversation and then sends him on his way. A couple of hours later, through the window again, he sees a young mother trying to cover her new child from the cold. Martin invites them in and gives them better clothing, warmer clothes to battle the elements. And finally, he sees a young boy steal an orange from a clerk, and he runs and intercedes and handles both victim and thief with unmerited grace. Later in the evening, as he drifts to sleep, he wonders why Jesus had not visited him. And in his dream, God speaks and says, did you not see me in the laborer, in the mother, in the thief? I visited Martin and you received me well. Our time comes sometimes in the courts of Persia, sometimes across town, sometimes right outside our window, sometimes even inside our own families. I love the story that David Michaelis tells us in his biography of Charles Schultz. You know Charles Schultz, the creator and only composer of the comic strip Peanuts. As it turns out, according to Michaelis, Charles Schultz did not grow up in a very affirming family. His mother and father did not have much hope for him and couldn't see what would ever become of this scrawling on his drawing pad. It was, however, his grandmother who lived down the road who made it a point to spend time with her grandson every week and would tell little Charles, you can do something with this. You can be something. And one of the artist's greatest childhood memories was when his grandmother would take the young boy downstairs into the basement and with hockey sticks and ball, she would play goalie while the young Charles would practice his shots. Grandma playing goalie. Said Charles years later, I like to think she made a lot of great saves. And Michaelis adds, perhaps her greatest save was the boy himself. Such is the calling, right? To see all things through the presence of God. To find in all times the presence of God. To save each being, each being, as if in the presence of God. For such a time as this, and for such times as these. For as C.S. Lewis put it, next to the blessed sacrament itself, it is your neighbor who is the holiest object presented to your senses.
friends, this is a joyful feast of the people of God. They will come from east and west and north and south and sit at the kingdom of God. This is the Lord's table. It's not a Presbyterian table or a Sarasota table. This is the Lord's table, and our Savior invites all of us to come and feast, which he has prepared for us. Hear the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the same night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat of this, remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again. And he will come again. Let us pray. You have received us, O Lord, at this table. Our invitation is an invitation of grace. We are grateful, O Lord, that these common elements that we will partake of in other places in our lives can become sacred. They can become for us the feast of the kingdom of heaven as would be any feast at which we find you present. So we ask, Lord, that you would join us at this table uniquely that we may know of your Holy Spirit's presence and that we may be filled so that we might be cups that runneth over in this world to fill that which is secular with the sacred. Bless us in your presence and through your spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our, Our Father, Father, who, who art, art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our Lord took bread.
people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shine. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. After supper, Jesus took the cup.
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. Let us pray. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when you were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us safely home. We are grateful, O oh God, that you have refreshed us at your holy table alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ across the globe and down through the ages. May we who have experienced the grace and generosity of your gifts here today bring the refreshing light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others wherever we may go. In his name we pray. Amen.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.